Hi, and welcome to the Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based adolescent eating disorder psychotherapists and mothers of two, here to help you help your children fully bloom. This episode is brought to you by the ABCs of Body Positive Parenting. Our signature virtual guide provides additional research and resources to help you put body positive parenting into action so that you and your care providers can help your children fully bloom. To claim yours, please visit our website at fullbloomproject.com. Today, we will be discussing the body positive parenting question, What on earth do I do about social media? The S in our ABC Guide to Body Positive Parenting. Yes. To help us out, we have Dr. Charlotte Markey, a health psychologist, author, and founding director of the Health Sciences Center at Rutgers University. She has a new book about girls' body image due in 2020 and is here to share some very useful evidence-based tips to help us start the conversation with our young people about social media. Dr. Markey, welcome to the Full Bloom Project. Thanks so much for having me. I love what you guys are doing with us. It's really great. We love that you love what we're doing, and we're thrilled that you could join us today because this question, what on earth are we supposed to do about social media? It's an enormous question. I feel stressed just asking it, and I feel a little intimidated because we're, you know, we're sort of here saying, we're going to try to answer this question, and it's a very big question. So thank you for being brave enough to come on and uh, share what you've learned through your research with our listeners. And if we could just get started by hearing you share what have you learned in your research about how social media affects body image? Yeah, you're right. It's a huge question, and it's a new question. And I think it's really important to start off by saying that this research is in its infancy. So I think as parents, many of us recognize the hold that social media has on our kids. And we want to understand how that's relevant to body image. Um, But as I know, you know, it takes a lot of time to do good research. So it's really hard, I think, for the research right now to be on top of the technology because the technology changes so quickly. It's like there's studies coming out about Facebook, but like, I don't know any kids who use Facebook anymore. My kids tell me that's like for old people. (laughs) So um, I'm like, oh, great. It's Um, so true though. It is. It's, we don't even know as parents what, what social media our kids are using sometimes. Right. And I think that's part of the, what makes it so scary to us as parents is that we kind of feel like we don't understand it. It wasn't something we grew up with and we want to know like what it's doing to our kids. But I have to say that as of yesterday, I went and just double checked to make sure nothing new had come out in the scientific studies. And there were actually two journal articles that you could pull up with the keywords, positive body image and social media too. Mm. So 
there's a lot of other science to draw on, just research on other forms of the media. So like remember television and magazines and Facebook apparently, which is now passe. Um, and there's just general body image literature, but you know, in terms of how this fits with positive body image and the whole picture, it's just, we're trying to catch up still as scientists. And, and I also just wanted to say too, that I think it's important that we um, maybe don't overreact. I think that as parents and maybe even as scientists, you know, we're, we're looking for an answer about um, social media's effect on body image. And we don't want to then make social media this like forbidden fruit that's like even more interesting to kids by assuming that it's always going to be terrible because it's like like anything with with adolescents in particular, that if you make it like that much more exciting or forbidden, it's kind of like kicking yourself in the foot, right? You know, it's not crack. It's not something they can overdose on in one sitting. It's kind of more like like beer. They're interested in it. They're probably going to try it. Like, how do we then navigate that is, I think, the question. Yeah, but having said all this, there is some reason for concern. Um, so social media and media in general um, does seem to have some influence, at least in the short term and, and most likely cumulatively across time on body image and just sense of self in general. And then that effect is just really rarely all that positive. Really rarely all that positive? Yeah, it's uh-huh. just not going to be a positive effect for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um There is reason for concern. I just want to caution against, I think, being uh, overreactive. I think it's really important what you're saying. It's a nice tone to set for this conversation because I'm even noticing the way I got us started. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is such a big topic. And I'm intimidated that we promised our listeners we'd answer. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm almost doing it even in the lead up. And I think you're right. It's not crack. It's beer. And how we relate to it and talk about it with our kids is going to have an effect on the way they uh, use it and the judgment they use. So personally, I appreciate you kind of settling me down as we talk about this topic. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think it's it's easy to feel, like I said, it's really, I think, kind of scary and unknown. And for work reasons, sometimes I'm, I'm using social media. And I mean, I have to ask my teenagers to help me figure it out sometimes. And so it's really a strange thing to have kids so adept at using this technology at times that we're not sure we want them using. And I'm just kind of seeing a comparison that's being drawn in my mind between some of, some of the other podcasts we talk about are specifically around around food and sugar is in our world and social media is in our world and it's not about making it forbidden it's about helping ourselves and our children understand its impact and to be intuitive with it and to have it be helpful for them versus harmful and how to find that balance Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, balance is a word we love. It always feels so elusive in so many contexts, but I think it's the right goal. Mm -hmm. And with what Leslie's saying, thinking about the pleasure, like we we talk a lot on the podcast about reframing things like junk food and and helping our our parents, you know, ease up and and trust that it's okay, even if your kid has a, a ton of birthday cake at the party, like that's not... A problem, like you said, no one's going to OD on an intense day of Instagramming. But 
there are consequences and and the one we're trying to get our listeners attuned to with with regard to the eating analogy is just the way you're you're you feel right that embodied right. relationship to food and and mm-hmm. I mean I know even from my own social media use there is some pleasure that comes from it whether it's mm-hmm. it's following interesting things or even the little hit that we get when we get likes on a picture mm-hmm. I guess as we talk about this, thinking, yes, about the hazards, but also the parts of social media use that are enjoyable and how to make room for that part of it too, the pleasure principle, since we talk so much about the pleasure principle and intuitive eating, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. We've noticed that you've done some thinking about this and talked about this to your audience around mm-hmm. kind of how do you use the evidence to relate to social media and you have this acronym face that you created um, for your audience and we wanted to try to have you help us adapt that um, kind of evidence-based acronym for for body positive parenting around social media so I'm wondering if you want to want to work with us on that and brainstorm and introduce this acronym and where the evidence comes from and how we as parents can think about it and use it. Yeah, I was actually totally ironically, I guess, sitting in a hair salon a few weeks ago and I was thinking through like how do I organize this advice in a way that could be, you know, memorable because I know sometimes time with your kids feels so quick. It's like you're trying to like say something significant at dinner while also navigating all just the logistics of living with these people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so anyways, I thought I thought through like some of the main principles that I think we want to utilize that the research seems pretty clear on right now. Um, and so I came up with FACE, which stands for filtering the media. So F is for filtering. A is for avoiding. C is for careful of comparisons. And E is for examining and looking for um, the evidence. Okay. Can you walk us through each letter? You know, what is filtering? I love this term. It's often referred to as protective filtering in the body image literature. And one of my favorite scientists, Christina Guattario, talks about this, as do other people. But Christina has done some work that's really interesting, I think, because she tries to follow young people who are sort of the exception to the rule. So the exception being um, young people who actually feel good about themselves and then figure out sort of what are they doing differently than the majority. And one of the things she's found is that they're pretty good about protecting themselves from influences that make them feel bad. And social media qualifies as one of these influences, I think, for young people oftentimes. So, I mean, we can think of it in terms of ourselves, but of course, in terms of our children, if there's particular, you know, people on Instagram, let's say, that are doing things that make you feel kind of inadequate or bad about yourself, then filter those out. Or if there's a particular app even that you just think it's not enjoyable, why am I doing this? Um, This platform confuses me or the people on it I don't like, then just get rid of it, right? Protective filtering, the whole idea is filter out the things that don't work for you. And why I think filter is such a nice word 
to think about in this context is because there is some research that suggests that sometimes social media contact is actually really good, right? So there's a study that just came out this year in Body Image showing that when women engaged online in a social media setting with family members, that was a positive experience. Whereas engaging with like an attractive peer or, or models or, you know, what might be like fitspiration, dieting, whatever gurus, that that is not. So can we filter out celebrities and models or people that we don't know or don't maybe want to know, but maintain some of the, the good interactions? I love it. And I think I also love it because there's so much language around filtering with regard to filters, like social media filters. <laughs> like I, that's where I, I almost thought that's where you were going, but it, it just kept getting better because you were giving all these alternative ways of thinking about it. I mean, filtering is one of the thing I hear a lot about, even just in my practice with people that feel like they can't post a picture until they've filtered it a certain way or use some of these spooky apps like Facetune and really almost like airbrushing their own images and using filters in that way, um, mm-hmm. which, I mean, we just know promotes so many negative things about self-perception and self-esteem and body image. So I think it's great that F is filtering on your acronym because it's such a, there's a lot of charge in that word right now. Yeah, it's so funny you say that because I guess I didn't totally think of it in terms of the way it's usually used because I'm so much in my head in the in the body image literature. But hopefully maybe this is a way for us to reframe a word that gets used one way and think of it maybe in a more positive way. Totally. Or and at least a parent has an alternative to say, well, if you, as long as you're going to filter, how about this kind of filtering? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So what you just said, Zoe, makes me want to ask this question that I think a lot of our listeners want to ask, which is, I believe that my adolescent daughter... I see that it changes her mood, but how do I help her identify that and and use protective filtering? Because at this point I can't go in there and like, can I take out all of these people she's following? You know, how do I talk to her about this? Yeah, it is tricky because it really does require a certain level of awareness and sort of being in touch with yourself that I I don't think we should assume adolescents have necessarily developed. But I think one possibility might be just to ask maybe your adolescent daughter then, can I look at your Instagram feed with you Mm -hmm. and say like, well, who is this person? Because trust me, you're not going to know who they all are. In fact, you might not know who any of them are. And then from there, say like, well, why, why are you following this person then? And just get them to think about that. You know, you don't have to do it all in one shot. You don't have to be like, all right, well, this isn't good. So I'm going to, you know, require you to erase that or something because they can add it back in later. I mean, you have to really instill in them the desire to be aware of these things. And so I think that takes some sort of careful steps, right? So just, you know, kind of talking with them to say, I'm curious, like, I don't understand this or show me this or, or who do most of your friends follow? Or do you follow mostly friends or do you? Um, So just, I think you can kind of nudge your way in to some conversations without just being too heavy handed. And I, I think that would be my strategy of choice. Well, I guess like thinking about what the research tells us as parents, I mean, what I heard you say was that um, there are different types of followers um, or people that you're following or engagement with people on social media that we can 
we have some evidence to suggest family creates a better feel in a person than engaging with certain types of friends or mm-hmm. people. And mm-hmm. so we have that information as parents and we see it in our kids and it's really about helping them asking questions that are not too assuming or fishing maybe to help them just think about, well, how does it make me feel to be following this person? It's not like you can suggest to your teenagers like, oh, you should just follow your family. That's like the (laughs) last thing they want to do, right? I mean, that's like a whole nother conversation about if kids even want to engage with their family on social media. Mm -hmm. You know, a really simple example I always think of when I think of protective filtering, I think of an experience I had in my own like late adolescence or early adulthood when I don't know why, I think I must have been in college, but I used to always get like the Victoria's Secret catalog in the mail. Mm -hmm. I must have ordered something once and then it like just kept coming. And I remember like, you know, I'd look through it and I'd think like, wow, I'm never going to look like this. And it used to make me feel really bad, but no one's going to ever look like that. But, you know, when you're like 19, you don't think in those terms. And then I remember one day thinking, this doesn't make me feel good. I'm just not going to open it. I'm just going to throw it out when it comes. And it was just like this revelation of, I don't have to do this to myself. I can just throw this out. And so I think with technology, it's obviously much more complicated, but it's still the same idea of like, trying to create this sense of awareness of like, if this isn't working for me, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. I think there's potential for that to be very empowering. And, you know, on one hand, I know as parents, we're really maybe planting seeds and giving our kids an opportunity to just think about what we're saying, even if their instinct isn't to do it. But what we're talking about, it's reminding me of a conversation we had with Renee Engelm about her book, Beauty Sick. And one of the most powerful things she advised our listeners here was to ask our young people in moments like this, I think, if they are feeling bad, like who's making money off that? Who's benefiting when you feel bad? And so I'm, I'm just looking at this as an opportunity to kind of pull from the F, you know, the protective filtering from what you are bringing to us. And also just for the listeners that did listen to that episode to think about, you know, this conversation that you are suggesting we have about filtering, it might not be a bad moment to also, you know, use that to kind of encourage them to, you know, access the activists within them. Um, And again, you know, all through just the planting of the seeds, but it just made me think, oh, this is like a little integration moment. Yeah, I really enjoyed your conversation with with Renee, and I really like her work. I think that's a really important point. So let's move down the the list, and we have A for avoid social media. And you talk about being mindful of the space you have and don't have, as well as stopping oneself from looking and responding to social media. And, like, this is so hard, even for us, as you were saying. (laughs) Um, So how... Can parents help their adolescents with this concept? And, you know, is there any research to help us do this? Yeah. So, I mean, when I say A for avoid, I don't necessarily mean altogether. It's sort of an extension of the idea of filtering. Mm -hmm. And we want to avoid maybe at certain times of the day and maybe just certain platforms or certain parts of the experience, essentially. And, you know, we have research that suggests that, 
um, a lot of screen use before bed may, may be a detriment to our sleep. And so that's sort of easy evidence-based information, I think, to share with our kids and then make that part of household policy. So a lot of households, I know like you can't have your phone in your room at night or you can't use screens during certain times of day. A lot of schools don't let kids use their phones. They keep telling them they have to keep them in the lock, their lockers. So I think that's just, you know, sort of limiting by even time of day is, is important avoidance. You know, there's some recent Instagram research that suggests that kids that are most affected or young people, even undergraduates who are most affected by social media like Instagram are affected because they're really invested in spending time. So there's actually ways to measure like how much sort of they care about it or how invested they feel is is the language used in the research. And so I think if you are forced to have like breaks from it, it creates some space in, the, in a really literal sense from social media and maybe helps to prohibit this really deep investment. And so I think that's something we really want. There's also some unpublished research. A colleague of mine, Tomian Roberts, has done looking at um, dancers who are asked to stay off of social media for a set period of time. And it's really interesting. She reported this at a conference um, and she said, you know, a lot of them felt relieved because if someone else says like, you can't do this, then they sort of feel like, all right, well, okay. And then there's less pressure (laughs) to keep posting pictures or comments or whatever. It's like, they just can't. And so in some ways we may be doing our kids a favor by, by setting some boundaries. Yeah. I mean, I have a a friend mom who was talking to, to me about this too, that just that she just, she set some limits and she just noticed relief in the child's face, you know, and just yeah. demeanor around, oh, thank you. Like, I just, like, I couldn't do that for myself. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, she didn't say that out loud or anything like that, no, but, but it was not. there and it was capturable. And, and so I think that's important. It's really important to hear and know, like, just like our little, our little toddlers who need us to set structure for them because they just, they can't themselves. Mm-hmm. That's our role. Like this too the adolescents' brains, they just, they, they, they don't, they don't know how to do this for themselves necessarily. And a little bit of policy um, can help and be relieving. Yeah. I mean, I think for some people, it just starts, you know, especially young people, it's a little bit like soul sucking, you mm-hmm. know, this, there's even in the literature, this concept, appearance related social media consciousness, Mm-hmm. And this is this idea that that young people start to feel like they're kind of living for the pictures they will then post later. And I, I've seen this in some of my students. Um, I've taken students on on learning abroad trips and I've watched it in them. And it's really strange to me because, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, we're just going to go see like the Eiffel Tower. No, they're thinking I have to wear a certain outfit so I can post pictures of this later. And so I think, you know, sort of just trying to get people, young people in the moment again is really important. I just noticed myself feeling so sad when you said that because it's it's just all such a recipe for disconnection and, and ultimately mental and emotional unwellness. I mean, that's just, I think that will never change. The forms of media and the way we can kind of superficially or technologically connect with each other, digitally connect with each other, maybe will change. But I think as human beings, we're never going to change in terms of our like core needs to be able to connect with others in, in authentic, genuine ways. So I want everyone to take it really seriously, that there's something to protect here and that 
you know, we're kind of talking about harm avoidance, right? And that there's, there's most importantly, is this protective filtering and then also kind of portion control. Yeah, that's a great term. I mean, portion control almost makes more sense here than it does to me in terms of food sometimes. <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. It's right. Portion control is not something that we endorse here at the Full Bloom Project with regard to feeding, but with regard to social media consumption, creating limits around the, the use, it just feels like one of the only ways to promote emotional wellness. Well, and I think that the concept of like what you were talking about regarding space and making sure that we're being and our our children understand the concept of like how much time are they investing in this and does it match what is meaningful to them, what what they really want to be investing in. I think that comes to like our, our values episodes and also the beauty sick episode as well, just in terms of really modeling for our kids how to set meaningful boundaries for themselves. Ultimately, the control piece is really just a a kind of a stopgap between them becoming aware that they don't want to be spending five hours on media, that they really actually do want to be doing X, Y, and Z also. And we only have so much time and space. And, and how do you be mindful about that? Which like adolescents just aren't yeah, they're not known for. Right, exactly, you know. But but so I guess this this kind of can segue into C because that's a, maybe an easier concept for kids to get around around comparisons and being careful and what are, what are comparisons and that's something that they can probably identify more easily than like how do they want to use their time. Yeah, I mean, I think... Most research on media in general suggests that social comparison is really the primary mechanism that contributes to negative body image experiences, right? So it's like if we were all looking at media, whatever type it was, and at the end of that experience, we felt better about ourselves, we wouldn't really be talking about this as problematic, probably. Mm -hmm. But what we're doing is we're making upward social comparisons when we look at a lot of media or information on social media. So we're, we're looking at images and thinking that we don't measure up, or we're looking at information, um, maybe even about what people are doing and somehow feeling inferior. And so it's those sorts of comparisons we have to really, I think, in some ways learn to deal with or just learn to avoid. I think something we don't talk about enough culturally is just that you know, someone else's beauty or strengths does not detract from our own. Like it's not all a contest. Life is not a contest. So someone else can look nice or be successful. And that doesn't mean that we can't also have those things for ourselves. Um, So when we see someone else doing well, let's just say, and whatever domain of life it may be, um, we don't have to feel bad about ourselves Mm -hmm. (laughs) as a response to that. We have to kind of, I think, teach ourselves that sometimes because we're socialized by a lot of advertising to think that we should feel bad and then we should buy products to like fix ourselves. But instead, you know, some of the self-compassion research is really interesting and helpful to think about here. So Kristen Neff is a researcher who for I think nearly two decades now has been talking about self-compassion and this idea of just treating ourselves like we would treat a friend. Um, And this isn't just self-care, which is so trendy right now, but really thinking about 
how to be more positively sort of embracing of our flaws and our strengths and not thinking about that in relation to other people in a negative way. So learning to be careful and teaching our our children and our adolescents to be careful of how they're comparing and to be, and to teach them how to be compassionate instead of comparing. Yeah. I think that's sort of the the bottom line that Mm -hmm. there's always going to be things we can compare ourselves to and feel then inferior, or we can choose to be better about not making the comparisons because we've filtered or we've avoided, Mm -hmm. or we can also just choose to reframe. Like I said, you know, just because someone else looks nice, that doesn't automatically mean we don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This conversation, it's, it's reminding me of that intervention that we use in CBTE, just in terms of identifying the bias, the comparison bias. And even in what you're saying, it sounds like whether it's because this is how we're socialized or just the way humans behave in nature, we are inclined to compare. Like we, we look for it. And I think that I suppose it's also about saying to our kids, you will do this. We all do this. Most people do this, but here's what's problematic about it. Here are some alternatives here. Here are ways to kind of work with that impulse to compare and I hear a lot of, you know, people talk about com- like comparing and despairing, which is right. It's like the, 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 the vernacular way of saying what you're, you know, what you're saying. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, you, you can shift the way you are, you, you know, you are using this impulse to compare by including outliers in your comparison. So if you're only comparing to people your age that look a certain way, what what's it like to add other people to that set and start comparing yourself if you're going to do it anyway try comparing yourself i think it's what every every third person should look very different should be a different ethnicity or be a different body shape or be a, from a different kind of part of the world or what whatever it is just to increase the the set of people you're going to compare yourself to and, and just get, you know, see how it feels. Does it feel worse? Does it feel better? Probably feels better in in most of my patients' experience. Well, and I think too, that we can compare ourselves to celebrities, any of us, right? Even adults, we have a hard time probably not doing this sometimes. If you, if you see something and then you think, wow, like she's aging really well. Uh, or that's what I think. Like, wow, how is she aging that well? She's definitely older than me. But then I also tell myself, but this is her job. Like her job is to look good. My job is to do all sorts of other things that frankly, I value more. Mm -hmm. So it's not to be judgmental of anyone else's sort of position in the world. But for most of the rest of us, we have to realize that comparing ourselves to those people doesn't really make much sense because they have makeup artists, they have photographers, they have all sorts of things to help them do that job. And most of the rest of us, we don't spend that kind of time or energy or resources on just our appearance. It's just not what we do. Yeah, it's it's again, like that kind of who's benefiting from this, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and does it like, what are, let's come back to you and how are you, how, how am I, how are you child? How does it, how is it helpful to you? Um, and what you care about, um, which maybe, maybe brings us to the end, you know, to E and to talking yeah. about E and, 
And I think you'll probably do a better job about talking about this than me. So will you tell us about E a little bit more deeply? Yeah, so E is, you know, evaluating, examining what we're seeing and really trying to start conversations with our kids early about sort of how deceptive the media can be, that it is oftentimes a mechanism for selling us products. But beyond that, that, that you know, everything we see is orchestrated to look a certain way. And so things are photoshopped, things are edited. So when we do try to make comparisons or um, we do think about avoiding things or filtering out certain influences, I think it's important to consider evaluating what's going on in them. You know, these standards of of thinness or, or appearance in general are often based on imagery that's been edited. It's not even real. And so I think that, you know, starting to talk with our kids early and often about sort of how deceptive the media can be is, is really important. You know, one thing the literature suggests, and I think most of us learn really fast as parents, is that we don't want to just have like one big talk about important things because our kids are going to tune us out really fast if they think we're like starting a lecture. But we can make lots of little comments along the way. So sort of teaching kids to be skeptical, maybe just a whole bunch of little little comments like, oh, wow, that can't possibly be real. Or, wow, look, it, it looks like this has been done to that picture. And so then kids will just sort of learn that that's part of this reality, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I'm aware when you just modeled that, that you were really not nonplussed about it, but you know, it, it's, it's giving me the idea that, we could maybe just comment on it in a non like, oh, this is horrible. This is awful. This <laughs> right. is, you know, like, but rather to say, huh, that's interesting. It it doesn't even look like a human being. You know, right. huh, technology yeah. is really wild. It, it can really, um, you know, airbrushing can really turn a, a human into something that looks like an impossible to achieve Barbie doll. You know, like, I want to kind of illuminate the the stance which is not alarmist not indignant right it's just like oh commenting and in a way that maybe increases likelihood that your kid would hear you and maybe get curious about that and even create some cognitive dissonance for them like which is helpful yeah and I think just pointing out some of the good stuff what's interesting is of course what I, and assuming you as well, would view as the good stuff is the stuff that looks really real. You know, I was in Target the other day with my daughter and there was like a big ad of a woman in a a bathing suit, a very young woman, and it looked like she had cellulite and it wasn't airbrushed. And I was like, wow, that's awesome because that's how we all look. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted her to hear me say that. Mm -hmm. I was just like, you know, wow, that's like, you don't see that all the time. I'm so glad. Like, this is like a real person. You know, that makes me want to buy this stuff more. (laughs) Just um, acknowledging when you do see actual diversity in the media. Yeah, it's like that positive reinforcement, you know, and really pointing out what is valuable here. Even just the concepts in a TV show that it's, you know, that's more about this lesson than what you're seeing um, mm-hmm. and who's acting it out, really. And hopefully, well, we'll our kids will be seeing more and more diversity um, in sizes um, and in, in the acting world, which is my hope, but who knows? But I think just pointing it out is helpful. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there's evidence that when people view images that don't depict models conforming to like societal standards in particular ways, that this does make us feel better, right? Mm -hmm. Like it it makes us feel better when we see things that look kind of like us. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, that recognition is causing some change, maybe not nearly as much as we would like, but some change in terms of advertising and media and even like you say, in television and other forms of media. So hopefully the media is moving a little bit in a direction that's going to help us here towards including diversity, whether that be in terms of size or ethnicity or any sort of appearance. And I, I'm hopeful as well, but I am with you in that it's it's moving much slower than certainly technology is moving. One thing that I've been just really encouraging all the parents and even the older adolescents that I work with to to do and and truthfully the adults as well but if you're if you're going to be on social media almost like prescribing add some real bodies add some diversity of size to the feed so that even if that's not what you want to be following at least it's there so mm-hmm. that you can kind of help yourself create a social media world for yourself that isn't as dangerous as it might be if you're not, I guess, doing that protective filtering. Yeah. And the interesting thing about how interactive social media is, is that, you know, we all are coming to understand that if we select certain things that there's these algorithms, so then we get more of it. And so if we are essentially asking for diversity, we're probably going to get more of it. And that could ultimately create if nothing else, maybe very minor cultural shifts and that more people are asking for diversity and then the advertisers have to provide that, then all of a sudden, you know, one would hope they think, gosh, we need more of this. <laughs> this is what they're asking for. We could try to look at it as being potentially empowering that we can have some role in, in choosing what we see as opposed to thinking of all of this um, sort of scary algorithm stuff that goes on in social media as being only a problem. Yeah, it's like voting, you know, we got to think about it. And in terms of, are we telling people we want this by we are, we're telling advertisers, we want this stuff, and they're following that, and they're giving us more of it. And, and they're not going to change, you know, they're not, they're not the advertisers certainly are not going to change the scene, it's going to be people creating policies that make them change it. Or people like voting with their social media usage. And I think that's as parents, we can do that ourselves for our kids, which is be mindful of our own usage so that we help collectively tell the advertisers we want more diversity to see what we we want to see what what looks more real to us. Yeah. Yeah. So, Charlotte, what is the one thing above all things that you want parents listening to do on the regular to help their children fully bloom with the understanding that in a perfect world, we would do all of these things all the time, but we're, we're busy and, you know, we're trying to like pack a punch in this one thing. So it's a very hard question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think. You know, parenting is just so humbling day after day. Um, So we just all have to do our best. But, you know, when it comes to social media, the downside 
of it really seems to be that it's largely about valuing appearance above pretty much all else. And I think we really want to make sure our kids know that we value them for all sorts of things, right? So we value them for their sense of humor, their intellect, their ability to make friends. Maybe they're good at a sport or an instrument, or we just notice that they're kind to other people. Um, So I think it's certainly okay to compliment our kids on their appearance, but we also want to compliment them on all these other things and really try to reinforce that we value all these other things um, because we don't want to socialize our kids to internalize that appearance is more important than everything else, right? I think raising body positive kids is about raising kids who are confident sort of in general and are well-rounded. We want our kids to feel supported and loved so then they can kind of deflect some of these other more pernicious influences. We can't protect our kids from everything. Um, It's just really scary to realize that as a parent. Um, But we just have to hope that we're trying to instill in them a sense of self that's really solid um, so that they can come to protect themselves. Let's just leave it at that. That was very well said um, from my perspective. And I strive to do that as a parent myself. And I thank you for sharing your knowledge with our listeners and leaving us with that. Yeah, thank you so much, Charlotte. It's been a pleasure. So fun to talk with you guys again. I really love what you're doing with Full Bloom. So that's our show. Lots to digest today. But hopefully Dr. Markey's FACE acronym will help us hold on to these evidence-based actions. Remember, we're trying to plant seeds to inspire our kids to try out a new kind of filtering, understand their right to avoid the content that makes them feel bad about themselves. But be careful of comparisons and learn to shrewdly evaluate what they are seeing. Ultimately, we are talking about helping kids build social media literacy and digital citizenship. Yes, and leaning into the principles of body positive parenting to help us do this. If you haven't already, we strongly encourage you to grab the virtual guide to this episode by subscribing to our mailing list at fullbloomproject.com. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, we would greatly appreciate your leaving us a review or rating on iTunes or Stitcher so others can find us. Follow us on Instagram at Full Bloom Project and tune back in next time for more body positive parenting wisdom.